Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Hello and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live somewhere in Georgia. It is the 23rd day of February 2015, and we'll be quasi-live here for the next hour. As I said before, I don't typically air the show live because um, the gremlins of Skype and Blog Talk Radio will always rear their ugly head, and I hate having my audience uh, send me emails saying, hey, the one half of the show I could hear was awesome, so thanks for producing it, but the other half was crap. So we're trying to get some of those kinks worked out, but anyway, I do have with me uh, on the show today a uh, regular guest, Josh Wiley of uh, Journalistic Revolution and One Step Beyond Not Me, and a future, possibly maybe homesteader, who knows? He might be off the grid. We will never know because that's for us to know and for the government to find out, I guess. Josh, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jake. It's, uh, it's always fun. Well, we get to talk about one of our favorite topics, and the reason I pushed the show back until Monday is Josh and I had scheduling conflicts yesterday uh, for good reasons. Uh, we won't even get into that, but um, I got him on because um, there's this hits close to home for both of us. It's the, the idea of... Um, the idea of geoengineering, so I wanted to talk about that. Um, I also want to talk about the way that propaganda is being pushed here in the United States by a bunch of warmongers, and once you're awake to the false left-right paradigm, it, um, it becomes terrifying to see that these people actually do run our country and more, uh, even, even more so run our foreign policy. So it's getting to be very um, – I don't want to say dicey, but we're um, – we're approaching a, a an event, I guess. If you could, uh, if you could, you know, uh, forecast about a, a year or thirteen months into the future, I think we're we're going to touch on something here that might be an interesting conversation for us in the liberty movement to have. And the title of the episode was "Everything Must Change," and the reason that I say that is whether you're getting your information from alternative sources or from mainstream sources or uh, compilation thereof, we're, we're needing to evaluate um, all of these uh, data streams on a, on a different level, and we need to come to some better conclusions, and we need to also come to those conclusions uh, rather quickly so that we can have an action plan and uh, be sure to um, enact the action plan so that we can have the result that we want and the result that um, that I want at the end of the day and that Josh wants, um, I can assume, is that we just want more freedom and just to be able to do things that were, um, that were pretty much commonplace even 40, 50 years ago but now have become a, a burden or a, a task for the common man to do anything without government approval or without bureau- even more so bureaucracy approval. And uh, we're going to touch on some of that here. And we also want to talk about the idea of um, having a constructive debate over uh, resources and how the the right and the left have been pitted against one, against one another 
in this idea of the Keystone Pipeline here in the U.S. and and I've got a couple of, or a clip to to support that. So um, it's really becoming a a science or not a science. It actually should be a science. It's like a social science of uh, of dogma of two different dogmas trying to beat each other over the head instead of having constructive um, constructive um, conversations. Because there, there is really none of that. Because nobody ever looks at the facts and pulls themselves away. They have these predetermined belief systems that they love. And they love them because they're propagandized. Remember, through the redaction of the Smith-Mundak uh, in the in, uh, was the NDA, NDAA of 2013, the CIA and the, and the government can now propagandize the public here at home. So anything that you're getting from a mainstream source or anything that you're getting from these so-called experts that are typically um, – most of them are former CIA, former you know, FBI. Who knows what kind of script that they're writing? So anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning into the show. Remember, share the show with people you know, people you love, people you like, and um, especially if you're a, if you're, um, a climate change quote-unquote denier, which I don't know what the hell I'm denying – but uh, once again, I think I'm denying their bullshit on the fact that this has already been tried a couple of different times under a couple of different um, – come from different mantras. But it, uh, it always seems to fail. So if, um, if you have a climate – if you have a climate change enthusiast, send them this show because this is what they need to hear. The reality is is that geoengineering is taking place. Uh, it is not chemtrails. They call it something fancy, and they play little word games with the public. Uh, and Josh, let's elaborate on this. You experienced this firsthand. We'll talk about the geoengineering, and then we'll kind of, um, I guess, get the other topics in as we kind of go along. But um, explain to the people your first encounter with this idea of geoengineering and about how it's not really sanctioned, but we're doing it anyway because it's for the Earth um, in your time at uh, University of Michigan. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, it's almost kind of laughable that we even have to discuss this on a substantive level, you know, and be on the defensive about technologies that academia and the military have been using and studying now for decades, uh, quite openly, if you have learned about these from the proper sources. Uh, for example, at my, uh, oh, geez, it would have been my sophomore year at the University of Michigan, um, there was essentially a class that was more or less an, an ecology 101 type class. Um, and an entire lecture of this was devoted to the, um, to the benefits of geoengineering. Uh, some of them talked about as, uh, as experiments that were not yet being undertaken. Uh, but some of them also discussed as you know, kind of things, programs that were already in the works uh, although we didn't delve really into the institutions that were um, that that were behind this, uh, one of the examples that was cited in the class was that during 9/11, or uh, <laughs> er, following September the 11th, 2001, uh, as the pl- as all you know, uh, American air traffic was shut down for two days, the planet warmed a whole two degrees. Uh, so you know, if we were to cease geoengineering then uh, we would essentially uh, doom ourselves to global warming. So, But this all falls under the same <laughs> idea that um, 
Man, I've got a clip from from Randall Carlson and um, and his podcast on the Joe Rogan experience from episode six hundred six. If you guys have not checked it out, I would um, highly recommend it. But he goes through the idea of of how this gradual warming is is uh, is um, sacrosanct. That it's it's the it's the potion that keeps this climate change. Uh, theory alive and he's shooting holes in it due to the idea of of catastrophes and the fact that maybe some of these you know giant shifts in our in our atmosphere and in our weather system were not just the result of humans being bad that's a bad human don't do that don't pollute the earth you know it's not just that it's the fact that maybe there could have been an impact here and I mean just look at the moon look at all the craters there so you look at all the impacts that have possibly happened, and he shows evidence that, you know, albeit um, it, it is supporting his claim, but once again, if you understand geology, uh, typically rocks do not lie, and it's something that they can – once again, science is, is about measuring things, right, Josh? It's about data that you can measure. So if we have measurable data – not like the climate science where they always change the numbers and they skew them a couple of years to show a gradual increase and stuff like that and get caught doing it. But then people just double down and say, no, 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 we got to get away from carbon. You know, we got to we get away from fossil fuels. So it's this idea that, number one, that the, the planet has some kind of um, – what would you call it, Josh? What, what would you call a um, some kind of stasis to where – Everything is loving and and fabulous, and we sit at seventy or sixty degrees, and and everything is just beautiful until human beings come along. Yeah, the well, there's this kind of interventionist uh, ideology, but I believe, I guess, if we're talking about it in the strictly environmental sense, that would be the myth of the ecosystem, right? Which we've uh, documented on a couple of shows ago, and if you guys want to go sift through that, if not, I'll post it in the show links. That uh, we broke down that um, the ecosystem. Josh, why don't you recap it for people briefly about the the um, the farce that is the ecosystem and about how it was proven to be um, a uh, a farce and a myth back in the nineteen what is it nineteen seventies? Well, I guess that's part of when a lot of these uh, ideas started to culminate in the age of computers. Um, because, you know, I guess as cybernetics and the ecosystem were becoming popularized, quote-unquote, sciences throughout most of academia, uh, these two ideas got intermingled to the point where they were virtually inseparable. Of course, the ecosystem being that uh, our environment is essentially this giant biocomputer, and if you were to remove any given component of that biocomputer, the computer would cease to function. Um, so essentially, as computing technology also got to the point where it was able to uh, to process this information uh, on a on a large scale, where it fed to it, uh, there were a lot of ecological projects. Uh, I believe the one that I'm thinking of happened. Uh, I know the study took place in the Rocky Mountains, um, but I, I I think it was a Californian university, maybe UCLA, that that actually undertook this study. They had graduate students essentially following animals around uh, over the course of their days for months on end, um, you know, monitoring what these animals ate, what the insects ate, what the plants, you know, were doing, how they were thriving, their levels, their quantities, and they were feeding this all into a computer that would essentially prove the the stasis of the ecosystem uh, to these researchers. And it, it essentially ended up uh, that there was no stasis whatsoever. It was and they had constant- to... 
And they had to remove data in order for it to create stasis, which was propagated at the Club of Rome where they tried to push all this stuff the first time, correct? Well, well, it's interesting because you get the Club of Rome that kind of, you know, has this model because they are kind of a, this, they're like propaganda for the modern man, for the mm-hmm. mainstream man, right? Mm-hmm. So by nature, they have to simplify their data and come to essentially a staunch conclusion regardless of what that data says. Right. Uh, so they they took the the methodology of simplifying things, uh, whereas these researchers, uh, when they were faced with um, the the myth of the ecosystem staring them in the face, they had, they believed the opposite problem that they simply did not have enough data. Mm-hmm. So they continued to feed it more and more and more over the course of many years uh, until the entire cybernetic model of the ecosystem at the academic level was just abandoned altogether. So even though it may be taught still in schools. Uh, as, as this kind of axiomatic truth about the way the world works, like many things that are taught in school, uh, you find that the upper echelons of academia uh, have already decided that this is a bunk model. Uh, their research is not based on it, but they'll continue to teach it to kids. Um, why? I don't know. Well, maybe I do, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> well, let's. this is a perfect setup for the one of the clips that I have. So let's go ahead and play this clip. This is from... And Josh, you and I talked about this whole interview, and we do have some we have some challenges for Mr. Carlson, who is a an admitted Freemason that kind of dismisses the fact that Freemasonry has ever done anything uh, nefarious in, in its entire existence, which we both find laughable if you understand anything about the, um, the the secret group that is the Freemasons. And neither Josh nor I subscribe to the theory that Freemasons run the world, so we're not taking it to that extreme. But um, anyway, this is a very good uh, clip of where he's describing to Joe Rogan how these ideas that Josh and I are talking about, or Josh you know, basically touched on right there, that are still being propagated in academia, even though there there is you know there's evidence to support the the alternative argument or arguing the other side, but they just kind of poo poo that and say, well, what do real scientists think? So here's the uh, here's the clip. So sorry for the long. Time. Love to be able to dismiss anything that's not mainstream, right? That's outside. Yeah, yeah. Because there's this cult of authority. You know, that's mm-hmm. why you hear somebody says, well, what does a real scientist say about this? What does a real scientist say about this flood? And my well. Which real scientist? You know, uh, Vic Baker, Richard Waite, uh, you know, Roy Breckenridge. You know, I've I've read or talked to every almost every scientist that's done work on the Missoula flood. You know, so I know what they're saying and what they're thinking. You know, and what they've written. I've so so. You know, when you say, well, what do the real scientists say? Well, okay, let's get a little more specific. Who are you talking about? Because there are different points of view. You know, are you talking about John Shaw's idea, or are you talking about you know? Victor Baker's ideas or, or, or any of the others. Well, you know, and that's the thing. They say that because they don't really know. They've got this idea in their mind that there's this authority that's got it all explained, which makes it easy, right? Because right. if somebody's got it explained, then we don't need to concern ourselves with it or think about it. Right. Right. So what I say is, okay, forget about who says what. Let's just look at the facts. Okay, so that was the first part of the clip. Now it just kind of sets up where he's going with the rest of this. So this is a longer version of the clip, but he he talks about the same kind of stuff that Josh and I talk about, which is pretty interesting to me because it seems like that a lot of different people that are educated outside of their uh, classical education from public schooling to the university system into the job market as you're thrust out into the 
the ever-knowing job market, and you're supposed to have all these quote-unquote skills that I've been in the labor force for, um, good gosh, over 14 years, and I've yet to see people uh, flex these so-called skills that you're supposed to learn in college. And one of the things that they're not teaching us how to do, except for in the upper echelon institutions, is how to critically think. And that's what you're starting to see people from not only academia, but from people like myself and Josh that have that have understood that, hey, this is um this is a trap. Like the idea of 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 um of teaching me to be a good employee is a trap. It's not letting me be a human. It's not letting me free think. It's not letting me form my own ideas or form my own opinions. I just listen to what some prognosticator sits up there and tells me is going to happen in the future, and I just buy it and move on. So here's the next clip, and um, this is where it gets really powerful, and then Josh and I will break this down on the backside, and then we'll get into the geoengineering. The reason that we're going through all this first is because we have to show people that that the people that are buying into climate change and all these nice little buzzwords and they're being pushed on you from every different level not giving you the actual definition of what they mean by the term they just use the buzzword so what the hell does that mean what does climate change mean well shit yesterday Josh it was 32 degrees here in Georgia and today is 56 is that climate change remember climate and weather are two different things but they don't even they don't even discuss that either well, if you were to listen to uh, some of the propaganda outlets out there right now, uh, you would be led to believe that the Siberian uh, Express that has, you know, just wrought the eastern half of the United States. I mean, it was negative 20 degrees without wind chill here this past weekend, so that was great. <laughs> um, but that this was the result of Russian geoengineering. Jake, have you heard this? Oh, I have, and I have clips on this, so don't worry. Mm. We're going to get there. Um, yeah, I did a lot of research for this uh, for this show, guys, so enjoy. And uh, once again, send this to all the climate kids because, hey, we need you guys too. If we're going to beat the oligarchs, who are the real challenge here, and Josh and I talked about this the other day, it's, um, it's the paradigm shift, but also it's... It's the, it's the authority figures that control the money supply. It's the people that have been running this game on, on planet Earth for over 150 years who are the real threat. Yeah, comets are a threat. Yeah, those kind of things are threats. But we need to get to an, a, a fundamental understanding that what all of this stuff is are, are PR uh, campaigns, they're, they're buzzwords, they're things that are written by people – Unfortunately, like like I was trained to in in college, uh, I was trained as a as a marketer. I've got my degree in marketing. I was trained to come up with catchy slogans to make you buy shit. Is all it was. I don't care if I was believed in the product or not. If the product killed people, it wasn't my fault. It's all, toasted, Jake. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's all in the idea, and so those people, unfortunately, are. People like myself that were trained in this kind of stuff are are really not part of the actual product itself. We're just an extension of the product or a marketing or PR firm for the product. And now what we're seeing through governments and NGOs and all these different organizations is that now they're pushing their product, which is the American empire. They're pushing that upon us. And they're pushing it upon the American people, getting them to buy into this idea that we that we need to go fight ISIS and our, our ISIL or IS or whoever it is this week uh, because they're chopping people's heads off. But evidently, Josh, did you notice this, that everybody that's a member of um, ISIS or ISIL is about 6'8", six, 6'9"? Six, 
when I when I initially saw that picture posted on on uh, the faux news uh, as it was flashing in the background, I literally burst into laughter. Just I was like, "What are these like the Nephilim Anunnaki god men of the <laughs> desert?" They might be. Maybe that's maybe that's where Saddam Hussein's royal uh, royal Islamic guard actually ended up. They hid they hid underground for twenty years only to rejoin ISIS as these godmen. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and took Laughable. a bunch of human growth hormones and ended up being like six ten. So anyway, here's the rest of the clip as we kind of digress into a little bit of a little bit of um, uh, intellectual humor. So um, here we go. Here's the next clip, and this really does set up the. Um, the idea of what we're going to discuss today and and weighing out both sides of the argument. Remember, removing the emotion. I know it's really hard for all you people that were classically conditioned in public school to remove the emotion from an argument, but you're going to have to do that and look at the facts and then and and admit to yourself, oh my God, I might have been wrong. It's going to be a big blow to your ego, but I tell you what, the world will be a lot better place if we can all just kind of put ourselves in check and say, maybe I didn't have all the facts. Here we go. As we're going along, squares represents the finding of a fossil of an extinct mammal in the, in the fossil record. What we see from this graph is that when we get to between 11 and 13,000 years ago, there's a massive spike of shoots mortality. Through the roof. Shoots through the roof. This demise of these animals directly coincides directly with, coincides with wow. this right here. Directly. Now... What, we, what we're dealing with is that for 50 years, the dominant theory has been, is called overkill or blitzkrieg. And this theory basically states that bands of paleo-Indian hunters came across the Bering Land Bridge, slaughtering every animal that they encountered along the way, and somehow within less than a thousand years swept from Siberia down to Tierra del Fuego and killed off every woolly, every mammoth in the world. And presumably every mammals, and that has been the dominant theory, that, that humans caused this mass extinction. And personally, I think that's just absurd. You know, because for one thing, based upon anthropological studies, there were possibly more woolly mammoths in the world than there were people for a while. Um, you know, you have to assume that the Blitzkrieg was so instantaneous and so all-encompassing that there was no time even for the mammoths to... to reproduce. Of course, the overkill hypothesis basically addresses itself only to woolly ma- or only to mammoths. Woolly mammoths were one species of, of four different species of mammoths. But what about the other roughly 120 species? What about the, the giant armadillos and the giant beavers and the American Pleistocene lion that was as big, big as a horse? Uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. And these animals all basically disappeared during this spike that you see right here. Wow. And that spike falls exactly between these two warming spikes and between the two sea level rises. So all the data all points to the same time period. Yes. Wow. And so what I'm saying, and this is, this is uh, uh, you know, basically consistent with, with, with what Graham's saying in his book, is that this... This, what we're seeing here, this episode basically represents a curtain that has come down and obscured 150,000 or more years of deep human history. And basically has lost that history to modern perception. But now, once we understand that, yeah, you know what? The Uniformitarians were wrong to reject all ideas of catastrophism. 
you know, because in the original, in the early days of geology, the, the founding fathers of geology were catastrophists. They went out in the field unencumbered, unencumbered, unencumbered by dogmas and so forth. They looked at the evidence in the field and concluded that there had been catastrophic episodes. And this is, you know, uh, Baron von Cuvier, Sedgwick, Murchison. If you'd go back and you all of these guys who basically are considered the godfathers of modern geology, they were to a man catastrophists. Uh, James Hutton, uh, Lyle, and Playfair came along and basically proposed the idea of uniformitarianism. The present is the key to the past. Very powerful uh, working uh, idea is that we can look at stuff that's going on today, extrapolate backwards, and try to figure out things that happened in the past when we don't have a, a, an eyewitness account, right? Very powerful. But what, what happened was is it became so entrenched as dogma that anybody who invoked catastrophes was considered um, basically fringe. Because in the early days, some of these guys, like Sedgwick, for example, he was a theologian. He was a traveling minister who went around and in, in his travels to you know convert the the, the people to to Christianity, he would see the stuff and he would you know place it within the context perhaps of being Noah's flood, right? Mm. And they would place it in a some of not all of them some of them would place it in a in a biblical context, right? So when they were attacked, basically the 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 substance of the attack was. Well, you guys are trying to bring us back to the days of biblical literalism, and science has moved beyond that. We're not here. We don't want to talk about catastrophes or great floods, deluges. We're, we're through talking about all of that. That's all been discredited. And what you see is between the early 1800s, at the, with the, the beginning of geology, earth science, to about the 19th century, what you see is a steady decline. You know, some of the older guys die off. They're replaced by the new guys who have now basically taken control of the university curriculums and they've been indoctrinated into this idea of a strict gradualism and that any deviation from that strict gradualism is is uh, heresy basically so by the time we get to the 20th century you had this reigning uniformity reigning gradualist dogma that had been imposed upon all earth science and anybody who deviated from that was immediately kicked out of the club and this is why when J. Harlan Bretz came along in the 1920s and proposed that there had been these gigantic floods in the Pacific Northwest, you know, the geological community basically said, ah, get out of here. We don't want to hear about it. We know that that couldn't have been uh, just because we know. J. Harlan Bretz continued to, to uh, document, uh, exhaustively document from the field that, that these floods were very real. His critics said, well... You, don't, you can't provide a source for these floods, therefore they didn't happen. Now bear in mind that all of his critics, his, his most vocal critics, had never even gone out to actually look, right? And uh, Graham is going to, he has got a great section in his new upcoming book describing the, the ordeal that Bretz was put through. He finally prevailed, ultimately. Um, most of his critics died off. You know, he outlived, and he lived to be, I think, 98. So I think when he was 96, he was given the Penrose Medal, which is the uh, the highest honor of geology. And the only, he said he was very grateful, but the only thing he, he was unhappy about was the fact that he all of his critics had died off, so he didn't get to gloat over <laughs> them. <laughs> so there you go, Josh. That's what um, <clears throat> That's what I wanted to get out to everybody is the fact that 
you know, even though there is this quote-unquote consensus on climate change or whatever you want to call it, there there have been times in history, and now what are, what are starting to come about is there have been suppression of real information because it's against the status quo or what we've been taught or, you know, there are underlying um, – I guess underlying things that would go along with the the status quo for for the idea, and I just got confirmation from Josh that my microphone is not ducking, and that is awesome. So I think we might have fixed the technical technical challenge here with my soundboard. So Josh, um, let's expand on this a little bit and start um, going down this road of geoengineering and um, and start really breaking down why we need to have a conversation about geoengineering aka chemtrails and if it's really something that we should substantially push or is this something that we should um should kind of take a take a back and say wait a minute wait a minute why are you guys moving forward with this why don't you get the consultant or the consent of the the population and then i've got a couple of clips to to basically reinforce um the fact that um that they're probably already doing this stuff and just not telling us Oh, they've been doing this for quite some time. Uh, so I, I think that's relatively, you know, I mean, provable. And we'll, we can go into that as the show progresses. Um, but in terms of this steady modification of the intellectual diet of the American people through the, you know, closed circuit of academia, uh, promoting given theories, whether right. that theory be the ecosystem right. or, or anthropogenic global warming as it's currently known, you know, based solely on carbon input of humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, the IPCC, that was a UN institution, was tasked with finding the link between climate change and humans. No, that was uh, 100% their, their, it was here, go prove that humans are doing this. Exactly. That was, yeah. So, I mean, what do you think that they're going to do with billions of dollars? Do you think they're going to go and and disprove it and say, "Hey, no, no, no. Well, it's uh, doesn't look like it's us doing this." So. Well, it's something with which there was no data and no consensus to support. Yet, nevertheless, it became a, a popular meme within the pseudoscientific community. Uh, another great example of that is uh, the the chemical model of of you know brain imbalance disease mm-hmm. uh, in terms of mental health. Uh, the the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual for Psychiatry, you know, gets longer. We're up to something like 500 diseases in the in the DSM five. Oh yeah, and you long- and I, you and I are completely mental, evidently completely mentally ill because anybody that has a resistance to authority is now classified as a um, oppositional defiance disorder. There we go. I could not remember the technical term, but there it is. Oppositional defiant disorder. You actually don't want people running your life. You are a crazy person. Well, I mean, it's just so funny how these little stupid word games they play, like ODD, odd, oppositional defiance disorder. You're in the odd one out, right? Yeah. Or, you know, seasonal defective disorder. Sad. Oh, great. Thanks. So clever, DSM. <laughs> but, but I mean, the, the chemical imbalance model of brain disorder is another, you know, it's, it's a provable myth. And most of 
academia knows that it's a myth. They've moved on, perhaps to an equally as flawed model, but getting closer there, where you're measuring different aspects of brain activity, you know, which is why there is no test for serotonin imbalance in the brain, right? If it were a, a chemical deficit or chemical imbalance, it would be quantifiable, right? As we were talking about with what real science is, something that's quantifiable and measurable and then repeatable in experiments to discern truth. Correct. Right? So you would think that if it's a chemical imbalance, that would be the case. <laughs> that would be the case, right? You would be able to find these links, uh, yet nevertheless, they don't exist. Pharmaceutical companies still make you know, billions upon billions, if not trillions of dollars, shoveling this onto the American marketplace for over 40 years now uh, on a model that the people that are doing a lot of the research for them know is a lie. Yeah, just keep making that money, guys. You got it. So... Uh, I, I would agree 100%. So let's um, let's move back to this geoengineering. So Josh, you know, I'm going to roll through a couple of these clips, and I don't know if we're going to be able to get through them all because we're about halfway done with the show. But um, here is um, here is a clip from this guy that was on the Colbert Report, and this was back in 2013. Now Stephen Colbert gets on him, but we all know who Stephen Colbert is. He is a a right-wing political actor, so he is not, by any stretch of the imagination, somebody that is questioning global warming or climate change. He's just playing the the part of somebody that would be asking pretty pertinent questions to this guy that's obviously has a um, has a vested interest in uh, in climate science. So what I would like to do is briefly uh, let me pull this up here. I would like to tell you guys uh, this guy's background really quickly. And this is a, the gentleman by the name of David Keith who he has on his, um, on his show. And David Keith is selling this idea of geoengineering at the time, which was uh, once again three years ago. So we already know this is uh, – it's called a case for climate engineering, detailing a strategy for slowing climate change. And he talks about how if you spray, you know, uh, aluminum particles in the air and and all these different things. But um, what I found was pretty interesting is um, is that he has a, a real stake in the game, and that's what you need to look at when you're looking at these people that are promoting these things. He's a professor of public policy, Harvard uh, Kennedy University, and Harvard University. He's the president of Carbon Engineering. So, gee, do you think that he might have some stake in lowering carbon emissions around the planet? Uh, he was a professor of applied physics at, uh, at Harvard as well. So, once again, an institution that has been known to kind of push the status quo and move forward with it, and whether he is a, a, um, a willful, um, I guess, compatriot of this idea of geoengineering, we, would, um, we will have to wait and see. But one thing that I do have is a um, is a document to back up what he's saying, and uh, we'll go over that here in a little bit. It's from um, I'll, I'll wait. I'm going to tease everybody. It's it's a pretty pretty interesting document, and Josh may have heard of this group once or twice before uh, as a global constabulary. So here we go. Um, this is um, this is Dr. Keith on uh, on geoengineering and what we can do to save Mr. the planet. Mr. Keith, Dr. Keith, what do you got? What are you calling you? I'm good with Mister. Mister Keith. Okay. All right. Now you've got you got a, a a little a little book here called A Case for Climate Engineering. How will we save the planet? Because all the people, all the chicken littles out there are saying that the planet is warming up. You don't believe that, do you? 
I totally believe it. It is warming up, and I've been thinking about, along with many other people, ways to stop it. Okay, does it involve me using one of those little pigtail light bulbs? That is a useful thing to do, and uh -huh. I have those in my house, uh -huh. but I'm thinking about something else. Okay, good. What's the other thing? Because I'd like to do anything other than that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so what do we do? So the other thing is horrifying. It is that you could actually spray sulfuric acid in the stratosphere, 20 kilometers over our head, and use that to stop the planet warming up in a okay, kind wait, of you, ugly you, tech fix. You can, you can spray something into the atmosphere to yes. change... Okay, spray okay. Spray pollution into the atmosphere to stop it warming. So in the end, pollution saved them all. <laughs> we owe pollution. We owe acid rain an apology it is what you're saying. It would be a totally imperfect technical fix. Okay. It would have risks. It wouldn't get us out of the long-run need to stop polluting, but it might actually save people and be useful. Okay, so how, again, I, I interrupt you slightly there. How does it work? You take, you, how many planes are we talking about here? How do you do this? So let's say you wanted to stop it warming in 2020. Yeah. You okay, so here comes the, um, remember everybody that was a, talking about chemtrails, we're all crazy people, even though we're describing exactly what this gentleman talks about right here. Start with a fleet of just two or three kind of modified business jets. Well, kind of like, like a G6? Yeah, like a G650. Like a G6. That's like it. Like a G6. And, yes. you, and you'd, put, you'd put, say, 20,000 tons of sulfuric acid uh -huh. into the stratosphere every year. Uh -huh. And each year you have to put a little more. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't, in the long run, mean that you can forget about cutting emissions. We will need to rein in emissions. No, we'll get to it eventually, yeah. But it does. But in the meantime, we're shrouding the earth in sulfuric acid. So people are terrified about talking about this because uh -huh. they're scared that it will prevent us cutting emissions. Right, and also that it's sulfuric acid. <laughs> it is. you're bearing the lead. Is there any possible way this could come back to bite us in the ass? Blanketing the earth in sulfuric acid because I'm all for it. This is the all chocolate dinner. I still get to have my CO2 and I just need to spray sulfuric acid. Right? All over the earth. Right question. But we put 50 million tons of sulfuric acid in the air now as pollution and it okay. kills a million people a year worldwide. Okay. Okay, so where is the documentation for that, Josh? Is that the fine particulate matter that they were talking about before in congressional? hearings where they talk about, oh, we need to worry about fine particulate matter. It kills over a million people. Where are they getting these numbers from? I mean, there's a number of documentary sources that you could look at. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a report from DARPA in 2003 on this very topic oh. uh, discussing, you know, uh, full, it's a, doc, it's a long PDF, about 200 pages describing, I forget the exact title, I'm looking for it now, describing essentially full spectrum domination warfare from psychological methods to technological methods, uh, and they have a large section on there on geoengineering and uh, mastery of climate control. Hmm. You could look to the Royal Society of London, right, which on royalsociety.org has a PDF entitled Geoengineering the Climate, oh, whoa, Science, whoa, whoa. Governance, and Uncertainty from September 2009. No, okay, right? I got another one. I got another one. Let's wait till the clip's over and we'll compare notes. So here we go. Okay. All right, we're going to keep going. And that's and so good or bad? It's terrible. <laughs> but it'll be better if we put more in. We're talking about 1% of that, a tiny fraction of that. So we should reduce that sulfuric acid. So if it pollution. kills a million people and it's we're only bad. doing 1% more, we're just killing 10,000 more people. You can do math. Okay. But that's, so, so killing people is not the objective here. <laughs> killing people, not the objective. objective. But if you're a eugenicist, it is, it is kind of a nice, uh, nice perk. So um, I would find my little money token thing, but I'll have to wait and use that in a second. Just wanted to be clear. I just wanted actually, to be clear. Actually right. slowing right. climate change, actually okay. stopping climate change 
in a way that could help people this generation, people living now, in a way there's no other easy alternative. Can you just do it for part of the planet? Pretty much the whole planet. No, but could you? Could you just, like, say, just make things better for the United States? <laughs> Very hard to do. It okay. seems that this is mostly global. But the big fear is that one country will want it one way and one the other, like two frat boys arguing over the thermostat. And it may All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and end this. So he gets, he gets a little bit more into it, but it's the same kind of stuff that we were talking about. So, Josh, you have your document from, from who again? I have a couple, one from the Royal Society of London, the other from DARPA. Okay, I've got one from the Unilateral in Geoengineering, a non-technical briefing notes from a workshop at the Council on Foreign Relations from May 5th of 2008. And I'll read the summary to you. There are a variety of strategies, such as injecting light-reflecting particles into the stratosphere, which Josh was told is uh, what they were doing back in uh, Michigan, that might be used to modify the Earth's atmosphere and oceanic system into a, in an attempt to slow or reverse global warming. The, all of these quote-unquote geoengineering strategies involve a great uncertainty and carry a significant risk. May na they may not be as expected to impose large amounts of unintended consequences on the climate system. While offsetting warmings, most strategies are likely to leave other impacts unchecked, such as acidification of the ocean, the destruction of coral reefs, and such compositions of terrestrial ecosystems. Once again, Josh, there's that word again. Yet despite uncertainty and negative potential consequences, ah, so that means they're going to go ahead and do it anyway, Geoengineering might be needed to avert or reverse some dramatic change in the climate system, such as several meters of sea level rise that could impose a disaster on hundreds of millions of people. Wasn't this what Al Gore was talking about that never actually happened? I'm almost done, man. I got two more paragraphs. I can tell you're ready to just light this thing up. So, continuing. Unlike the control of greenhouse gas emissions which they tried the first time back when I was in high school, like in the eighth grade, and everybody kind of knew that was a big bunch, bunch of crap. But, you know, carbon, there we go, we'll go with that. Which must be undertaken by all major emitting uh, nations to be effective and at less likely to be costly. The geoengineering could be undertaken quickly and unilaterally by a single party at a relatively low cost. Unilateral geoengineering, however, is highly likely to impose costs on other countries that would run risk for the entire planet's climate system. The workshop will focus on the questions of the strategies constraining the shaping of geoengineering. We will explore formal and legal strategies as well as informal efforts. And Josh and I can decode that, what that means for you, as well as informal efforts to create norms or a given testing and deploy geoengineering systems that are, um, excuse me, d deployment of geoengineering systems and their possible undesired consequences. We will probe whether it's possible to limit the use of geoengineering in the circumstances of collective action by the international community in the face of true global emergencies and what might happen when the disputes that the emergency trigger would be pulled. That was by the Council on Foreign Relations, everybody, and they want to give you a big hug. So go <laughs> ahead, Josh. Well, of course, Jake, you know, both the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Society of London had significant representation at the UN uh, Rio conference in 1992, uh, I guess, un informally known throughout the conspiratology community as Agenda 21. Right. Um, which is a 
very real document, and it was a very real conference, and you can go and, and look it up and, you know, make up your own mind whether or not that uh, agenda is in full force today. And it's very um, terrifying but, when they talk about what they're going to do to the third world by just absolutely putting them under the jail as far as debt goes. But don't well, worry and, about that. And, and how most of the first world has to become more like the third world. Right, exactly. How they, how they have to deindustrialize America and all these other uppity countries because we know that humans won't do it on their own, so we got to do it for them. So if you wonder where all your jobs are going, everybody, if you wonder why the economy is about to turn to shit, uh, it's the social and global engineers of the planet looking to save you and bring everybody to an equal and level playing field over a long period of time. I would think that that would be called some kind of... Socialism? What kind of social fab, Fabian? So social? I can't remember. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, when and of course this is it. You truly un- start to understand how monolithic this program is when you start to look at the contents of what these people are supposedly spraying. You know, of course, there's another example from the L.A. Times in 2008. I mean, there's examples everywhere. The yeah. BBC in 2007. Uh, in 2010, also, uh, the 2010 story is about Russian geoengineering. The 2007 story about Chinese cloud seeding before the Olympics. Yeah. But this one's from the LA Times, you know, here, right here in the homeland, Jake, you know, where you can trust the information that yeah, you've got the your propaganda I, I'm, I'm going to link all of these. These are, um, I've got one from the New York Times in 2012. I got the one from the BBC. I've got the Daily Mail talking about Russia using climate weather against us. I got one from Foreign Policy. On uh, 2011, about how Goldman Sachs basically bet against the food crisis by using geoengineering, and or, or how Enron set up the climate, you know, derivatives market in 1999 or 2000, right before they, you know, went under and then had all of their documents burned. In and then, and then had their one guy that was the the main honcho of the. Of the whole Ken Lay, Ken Lay supposedly just, dead, but right. not really. He's probably living it up in Brazil somewhere. Yeah, but anyway, don't look into <laughs> any of those things, guys. That's just you know, that, that's just for for all those people. There we go. Who know what's going on? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who so, aren't asleep at the wheel? <laughs> so continue, man. We got about fifteen minutes left. So let's. So just really briefly, the L.A. Times, of course, you know, say uh, in two thousand eight, the Chinese are among the world's leaders in what is called weather, weather modification. But they have more experience creating rain than preventing it. In fact, the techniques are virtually the same. Cloud seeding is a relatively well-known practice. Oh, I guess it's common knowledge now, Jake. Mm -hmm. uh, That involves shooting various substances into clouds, such as silver iodide and uh, salts and dry ice, uh, that bring the formation of larger raindrops, triggering a downpour. Uh, People might remember that in 2008, uh, as well as in 2007, China essentially blanketed Beijing, uh, attempting to eliminate rainfall. They blanketed Beijing in in a snowstorm, a blizzard, in the middle of the summer, Mm -hmm. um, and caused over a billion dollars worth of damage. That was uh, covered in most uh, mainstream outlets, and they uh, took the, they kind of jokingly, uh, talked about China's the Chinese government's admission that this was essentially a weather experiment gone wrong, uh, making wise cracks about oh the weather machine. Oh yeah, um, like they don't know what they're doing. We used to do that back in <laughs> Vietnam to bring rainstorms onto people, but don't worry about any of that stuff, guys. This stuff exactly. is brand new. Well, I mean that connection is interesting in and of itself because mm-hmm. you know you have uh, you know the the kind of foundation of geoengineering that was really studied during the Vietnam War. And also kind of the foundation of more subtle chemical warfare through things like Agent Orange. Right. That those kind of came together in this one conflict. And then if we look to the present, we look at the present geoengineering program. We look at what's 
in these, you know, aerosolized, whatever it is up there, silver iodide, aluminum, barium, you know, uh, sulfur, sulfuric acid. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are things that, you know, not only screw with the the pH balance of soil when these things inevitably come to the earth, um, but they also, you know, heavily mineralize it. And not in this, uh, the organic mineral form, which is a necessity for plants, but synthetic micronized um, forms of aluminum and barium, which are terrible, especially if you're an organic grower, right? Uh, if you have Monsanto seeds, these have actually been genetically modified to survive essentially in soil with terrible acidic pH conditions, uh, as well as heavily uh, mineralized micronized soil. Uh, which is interesting in and of itself. Why would they be, you know, promoting the the use of these seeds uh, for the soil conditions that the U.S. Air Force, DARPA, the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, you know, <laughs> the Royal Society of London, the Chinese government, and the Russian government supposedly uh, are all in concert in bringing about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we have uh, you have this clip uh, last week um, of this guy talking about how. Um, I'll just let you, and this is what you alluded to before, and I actually don't even need to play the clip because we got about 10 minutes left and I wanted to get some other stuff because I got a really cool one here for, once again, more of the climate kids that are all about um, saying no to the Keystone Pipeline. So um, anyway, it's um, it's just more of the same stuff, you know, to be honest with you. And, and if you look up geoengineering, we have to... We have to step back from this idea that we're going to let governments run secret testing on the public, and that, and that's what this is. So for whether you believe in climate change or not, hey, your government's spraying you with stuff, and they're admitting they're spraying you with it. Now, whether it's, what, uh, whether it's chemtrails or contrails or whatever, the documentation is public. The, the plans are public. These, these engineering models are public. They're just not telling you, and kind of like what that guy Keith alluded to earlier. Well, if you really wanted to start this, what you would do is just start with a couple of commercial jets. You would do this, this, and this, which is exactly what people that talk about chemtrails are talking about. And then they get dismissed because they call them chemtrails, and then it's easy to call them the, quote, conspiracy theorists, which, once again, is a line tagged by the CIA in order to marginalize people that don't believe the official narrative about JFK. So if you don't believe that the magic bullet killed JFK, and you don't believe that they're aerosolizing your your planet and spraying all kinds of different chemicals in the atmosphere to, quote, unquote, change the climate, which has been well documented. The UN actually passed a treaty that said that they couldn't use weather modifications as a, as a form of warfare. So, and that was back in the 70s. So, guys, this is going on. Whether you believe it or not, it's whether you're going to stand up and say, hey, I don't want you guys running experiments on me. So I'm going to close that out for this, Josh. We're going to do the um, the president of Sudan tells the truth. It doesn't look like I, I got to play this oil tankers clip. So I got to play this. Um, we might run just a couple minutes over, but, um, here's the, uh, president of Sudan actually telling the truth, Josh, and we'll have to pick this up on the next episode because I do want to play this, but, uh, listen to this. Here we go. The president of Sudan has warned that the fight against jihadist extremism must engage militants on an ideological level and not solely concentrate on military action against them. Omar al-Bashir warned that simply using violence against young radicals who fight with organizations like ISIL and al-Qaeda could lead to even more extremism. Okay, here comes the gold, everybody. Here it comes. 
Our policy has been largely successful. After we arrest these young people, we bring a group of young scholars to engage in dialogue with them about their thoughts and we succeed in bringing a lot of them back from their radical ideas. He says the CIA and Mossad are behind Boko Haram and ISIL. He was speaking exclusively to Euronews in the week that ISIL released a video purporting to show the execution of 21 Egyptians. I said CIA and the Mossad stand behind these organizations. There is no Muslim who would carry out such acts. There you go. Oh, come on, dude. Where's that guy? I wonder if he's in a bunker somewhere. You better be, son. Jake, he is safe and sound, and I think that people, this is a whole other episode worth of a topic, and I think it's really important. Yep. But people need to ask themselves why the rest of the world, mainstream media outlets, are now beginning to tell you exactly how these false flag operations operate, how evil you know, Israeli and American intelligence and deep, the deep political state is. Uh, essentially, all of our trading partners are now getting this information. And it's, going, it's only going to get worse as America is kind of set up as the new bad guy in the kind of east versus west dialectic that's being set up for us right now jake and you know what man you and i talk about that a lot because it is um i mean it really it really does come down to the fact that we are being set up as as the boogeymen of the world you know as as every major conflict comes to you know, comes to a head, there always has to be a boogeyman that the world unites against, and and right now it's looking like um, it's looking like it's going to be America. So I mean, no, there's no rejecting it at this point. In that we have been the boogeyman of the world for at least the past fifty years, right? Now everyone's just kind of being told this on a more overt level. Um, I mean, you can't undo the past; you can only look ahead ultimately, but. Uh, that that future is pretty grim unless Americans kind of come to these realizations as the rest of the world does and also does not fall prey to a, a new international banking cartel that is really the old one in kind of gold coding. So all I got to say, Josh, we, we got some – I got some good stuff queued up here. Actually, I need to go to that uh, other clip. I was going to play the uh, Everything is Awesome by, uh, by the Lego movie, but you know what? Anyway. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Last clip, and then uh, we're going to have to let Mr. Josh go, and then um, I will have all the stuff uploaded to the website, wearenotcattle.net. Remember, if you like the show, uh, support us. Um, actually, there is a little button on the website called Donate. You can donate there, and um, it would help me get some new equipment and uh, help me keep the operation going, and maybe, just maybe, um, my soundboard will work for an entire show. How have we done so far? Any ducking? Uh, no, I mean, we're pretty crystal clear for the most part. Oh, my gosh. You're getting a little choppy on Skype, but that's my 3 meg internet connection. So here's the last clip, everybody, and Josh and I will break this down briefly. And then uh, remember, share this with all the climate people because we need you guys, too. We need to have a constructive dialogue, not just you guys out there repeating dogmatic 97% of all scientists agree. Well, let's find out what the questions were asked before you go around and start preaching all that crap because a lot of the questions were use the Delphi technique which means that there is not going to be an answer that is not desirable so if you want to learn more about the defi technique go check out the randcorporation.com and they will tell you all about the defi technique they will even send you pamphlets on how to do it and conduct it in your area it's so fun so fun to be conquered by corporate masters isn't it all right so here's the last clip remember 
the Keystone Pipeline is bad, Josh, but we've got oil tankers that blow up all the time and kill a bunch of people, but never, ever. When's the last time you saw this on the news? That's what I want to know. So listen. Never has so much oil gushed out of North America. From the Bakken Shale of North Dakota, from Al Jazeera, by the way, Alberta, everybody, not, um, not American. Is this is all. This is all Qatari government stuff. Getting the oil to market can be dangerous. This fireball over Castleton, North Dakota, late last year, was from derailed oil tankers. And in Lac Megantic, Quebec, last July, 47 died when a fuel train exploded in the center of town. Holy, Josh, did you hear about that on Fox? No, I did not, and I don't expect that Fox will be uh, telling me about the quantifiable link between earthquakes and fracking that was just found in Oklahoma based on the USGS uh, this past week either, but <laughs> I'm not holding my breath on either of those counts. Are you telling me that a Warren Buffett-owned organization did not tell you about his, one of his trains crashing and, and killing a bunch of people? No, but I saw a lot of ads for T. Boone Pickens. Oh, good, because and... <laughs> he's, a, he's a good dude. He is a really good dude. He wants you to pay for water. He loves you. Just he just wants the aquifer, Jake. Come That's on. all he wants. Just let, him, just let T Boone Pickens have his aquifer. That's it. He just wants to drill it out of the anyway. All right. So that's another once again another topic for another show. Just short and sweet of it, people that don't know, T Boone Pickens is a billionaire asshole out of um, out of Texas that wants to that bought the furthest piece of land still in Texas and found out that he can drill. Uh, as long as you can drill in Texas and hit water, it is yours. Even if you drill at a 35-degree angle and drill it out of an aquifer that is located 200 miles away from your property line, it is still your water. But don't worry. The global people that run the planet love you to death. And he said, if you think water is a human right, <laughs> ask, ask me about it in a couple of years when you're buying your water from me. But he's a good dude, and Alex Jones did a speaking engagement with him, so they, they're good people. So Alex Jones isn't selling you guys out, people. But, hey, once again, that would be stepping back from the equation and asking questions. We can't do that. We just got to fall in love with somebody and go along with the coattail ride, man. God, Alex, I love be, your show. It would, it would also be real environmentalism, which doesn't exist in 21st century, weird, modern, post-progressive America. Nah, it's all, it's, all like, it's all emotional environmentalism. It's whatever I believe. It's not, not what the facts emotional say. environmentalism. It's just retarded, straight up retarded. Like, ultimately, I can sympathize with the climate kids who think CO2 is going to destroy us all and, as a result, have moved off the grid and eliminated their dependence on the system. I, I can agree with that as well. Because Whether or not you believe all that crap or not, you at least did the right thing and moved off the system. Well, and, the, the and they're working towards the same solutions that the same problems. Even though we identify the problems differently, they're working towards the same solutions. Oh, very so true. that's fine. It's the it's the armchair quarterbacks of the modern environmental movement that are incredibly dangerous. The ones that and used to what post we call, I guess, climate kids. Yeah, the ones <laughs> that used to post stuff at me from Rolling Stone magazine, and I would ask them when they were getting rid of their computer and their iPhone and their car because they are admitting too much carbon. But anyway, never mind that. So, um, yeah, a bunch of hypocrites out there, man. All right, so here's the end of the clip, and then we'll wrap the show. It's all prompting calls for tighter safety rules and oh, tighter for those safety. living beside the rail lines, more transparency about just what's being carried. Hey, that's what governments are all about, Josh, transparency. That was a small town. If a similar incident were to happen in Toronto, one can't even, one doesn't even want to imagine the kinds of horrific uh, human casualties that uh, would result. Canada's government says it's tightening regulations and will continue to do so. 
See, there they go, man. They're tightening regulations. Just all kinds of PR buzzwords to say we ain't doing shit. We're bought and paid for by these guys. Would you rather be looser, Jake? Yeah. Those are your only options. Looser or tighter. Pick one. Now. Pick it. I want to go looser. Give me more freedom, and then we can sue these people for doing stuff. As it receives input from official inquiries into Lac Megantic and other crashes. In late January, both Canada's transport regulators and the National Transportation Safety Board in the U.S. released similar recommendations. Stronger oil tankers, moving hazardous goods only along the safest routes, and involving first responders and communities in planning for disasters. It is an integrated uh, transportation economy. These cars and the locomotives do cross the borders. The railways operate on both sides. And so uh, there has to be a solution that will work in both the U.S. and Canada. That would sound like some kind of international agreement. Under intense pressure, not least from an oil industry that must move its product, Governments in Washington and Ottawa say they'll move this year to make rail lines even safer. Oh, see, dude, look, the government's going to sign a bunch of pieces of paper and make it all better. Dude, it's going to be great. Cross-border pipelines like Keystone XL, which should take some crude shipments off the rails, remain stalled in the approval process. To some, the events of the past year call into question our entire dependence on oil and the need to move to greener, safer sources of energy. Enter the guy from Greenpeace. Here we go. Greenpeace is what, Josh? A wonderful organization that saves the whales, Jake. Owned by... I can't remember which foundation owns them. Is that the Rockefeller Foundation that owns them? I, I know that they have links to the World Wildlife Fund. Which oh, is, uh, that's that's a Rockefeller all the way. Woohoo! Well, yeah, Rockefeller and uh, who is uh, Aldous Huxley's brother. Coined the term transhumanism, who set up the World Wildlife Fund. Oh, jeez almighty. Why are you asking me? Uh, we're at the end of the show, man. All right, so all this ugly. Because uh, I'm drawing a blank as well. Oh, God. All right, look it up. Well, we got like another minute left in this clip. All right. We need much stronger rules to, uh, on moving oil. And we also need to start making those investments and in getting off of oil. We need to sort of do that for climate change reasons, but it's also going to reduce. There it was. The we've seen that are inevitable when you're moving a hazardous product. Busy rail lines pass through many North American cities and communities, as indeed do oil and gas pipelines. Getting safety regulations right for both is going to be essential if last year's string of disastrous accidents isn't to be repeated. Dude, if the Keystone XL killed 50 people, oh my God. I mean, seriously, what would happen? You would have people chained across the United States to the Keystone XL pipeline. But a bunch of people get blown up by Warren Buffett's freaking oil tanker. Nobody cares. <laughs> and Julian Huxley Julian, in the grave. That's there we it. go. God, dog it. Oh, well, anyway. So that's it for the show, everybody. Thank you, uh, Josh. Any last thoughts before we get out of here? Um, once again, everybody, share the podcast with people you know, people you love, people you like. And uh, thanks for putting up with us for an hour. We're um, we're trying to decode this stuff the best we can and present it to you in a format that's not only informative but entertaining. And hopefully we did that for you today. Go ahead, Josh. Indeed. Just read the documents for yourself, folks. No, 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 no. I've got people that are authority <laughs> figures that tell me what I should think about these things. Like if you're if you, even if you're like off of the corporate media propaganda teat and you've swapped to the alternative media propaganda teat as it is rapidly becoming. Uh, you just realize that the conclusions that are drawn in the articles 
uh, are interesting to think about on occasion. But unless you've read the source documentation for yourself, you have no idea what's going on in this world. So do yourself a favor and don't outsource your critical thinking to anyone, regardless of who it is. So would that be... Not even us. Would that be my new catchphrase for 2015? And that's gather the information for yourself, think about it, ponder it, formulate your own opinion, and then who knows, someday you may be correct. That's it, everybody. Thanks for the show. Thanks you to Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution and One Step Beyond Me. Thank you to myself for not uh, having my soundboard take a crap on me. And um, once again, uh, peace, love, and liberty, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. I got three catchphrases. I got to narrow this stuff down. So um, enjoy the show, everybody. We'll see you next week. Um, thanks for bearing with us on the time delay. Take care. You deserve your freedom. Freedom. Yeah, it's in the feeling that you